Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 110, it's the 15th of December 23, and today we're looking at a 2024 manifesto. So welcome to the podcast today, everyone. Today we're looking at a manifesto for 2024 for next year and I've called it back to the drawing board um, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking probably does what it says on the tin um, but that's what we're going to be looking at you know really thinking about looking at everything that's going on in the world and thinking well what can we do how can we live differently what can we invest in in order to make a difference in the world um, and so that's what I'm going to be looking at and this will be the the last podcast of the year um, and uh, more on that in a moment but I just wanted to say to everyone, I apologise for last week. If you um, you didn't manage to catch my podcast on YouTube before it was removed, um, forcibly removed, um, it seems that YouTube are still somewhat touchy if you talk about vaccines and, and what have you. Um, and uh, I, I try to be careful, but it seems that, you know, even if you're talking about what someone else has said, then you still you know, can fall foul of the community guidelines um, or, or whatever, the, the rules. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to persist with with YouTube just for the for the moment. But if the you know, again, I think I said this before, but if the censorship gets too bad, I may have to leave. But uh, let's let's hope it won't get to that point. Um, it's actually the first time it's happened for quite quite some time. So that's really good. Over a year, if, in, in fact, I think. Um, and uh, but just I have though made um, a little lifeboat as it were. I, I did have a channel on Odyssey, which is a kind of alternative to YouTube. That wasn't working so well, so I've tried setting up a channel on Rumble, which is another sort of common um, channel. And I'll, I'll try and put the link down below to that. And uh, I, I've tried to set it up to mirror the YouTube channel, so any videos from YouTube should go on to Rumble as well so hopefully that will be that will be a you know if the worst happens when it comes to to youtube that will be available but that's also why this podcast is going out on the friday instead of the thursday as well that's because the um the the the, the strike lasted until yesterday uh, i couldn't upload anything new and also for other reasons um I was um, well. We were due to have a garden room installed today for a new office for me, which means that this is this room is the last time that I hopefully, uh, God willing, the last time that I record a podcast from from this room here. Um, but uh, but unfortunately, they weren't able to come today. You know, so they're going to come next week instead. So all in all, it's been a a little bit of a um, a disappointing uh, couple of days. But there we go. Um, so yes, this will be my last podcast for 2023, and next week I'll be looking after um, looking after the kids. So um, I, I, that's not really very conducive to doing podcasts, um, unless you you know you want chaos, which you probably don't, to be honest. Especially as it gets close to Christmas. So this will be the last one that I'll be back in early January, God willing. The the room will be installed, the office will be installed, and I'll be able to set up, and at least it will be you know ready enough to record in it will take a bit of time to get set up but uh, but there we go so that's all all of the admin out of the way um, so let's move on now to thinking about just a, a few things that I've seen in this last week which I thought were were good and worth sharing 
So the, the first article is this in the Critic magazine. This is by Kappel Loft, and it's called Gutless Humanism. Subtitle, in their war on all things religious, humanist UK like to pick soft targets. And, um, I mean, this article, I shared it because I think it is absolutely devastating and savage and brilliant. It's it's an utter takedown of the humanists. It's sarcastic, um, but in a good way. And it's, yeah, I, I thought this was absolutely brilliant. So do have a, do have a read of it. Let me just quote you um, one paragraph just to give you a kind of flavour of what it's like. You can tell how effective Anglican schools have been at indoctrinated school children by rocketing church attendance over the past five decades. After years of intensive scriptural education, endless instruction in the 39 articles and a relentless process of having Cranmer, Jewel and Hooker crammed down their throats, the nation's children have grown into devout worshippers. Churches all over England are so crammed on a Sunday morning that a new church building programme is surely being seriously considered. Um, I thought that was brilliant, but this is the, the whole article. But it's, it's talking about really how the humanists love to pick on the soft targets of Church of England, you know, Anglicanism and Christians, and they completely ignore Islamists, and you know, which are the far greater threat to us as a society. Um, so yeah, do do have a look at that. Very very funny and uh, worth reading. So uh, the next one is on uh, a Midwestern doctor. So it's published on December the 10th. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just seem to be uh, linking to almost everything that, uh, that um, this doctor writes at the moment. But, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned the, uh, the studies on antidepressants, what he wrote about antidepressants and how SSRIs are more dangerous than people think. And there's less evidence for them actually working. You know, it just seems like they just make things worse. And the relation particularly of SSRIs and people going on to, you know, mass shootings, that, that sort of thing. Um, or, or commit suicide. So, yeah, um, he's written a follow-up. Um, SSRI antidepressants are some of the most harmful medications on the market, but also some of the most profitable. Um, this is just the, the executive summary at the start. Since their discovery, a deluge of data has shown that they are incredibly unsafe and, as one whistleblower testified, overt bribery is needed for the first SSRI Prozac to be approved. While the FDA tried, uh, initially tried to stop Prozac once Bush came to power as his family was in bed with Prozac's manufacturer, the FDA reversed course. And since that time, the FDA has gone to extreme lengths to cover up the harms of antidepressants. Much of what the FDA did with the SSRIs was identical to what it's done with the COVID vaccines. And I believe learning what happened in the past is highly instructive for understanding what the FDA is doing now and how to stop it. So do have a look at that article. Um, I thought this was really informative. Um, I mean, it's, they're all very well researched and um, you know, like often quite long, but yeah, really informative. So uh, do have a look at that article about, you know, particularly if you read the previous one on um, antidepressants. And I would say particularly if you know anyone, uh, if you yourself or, or, you know, any close family, friends are on antidepressants and you know, it might be worth sharing it. Just because I think people don't realise that these drugs are harmful and they don't, you know... Um, yeah, I think people just take them because they have prescribed them 
and you know it's it's yeah that you don't think about it but actually they are they are dangerous and they are um or, or they have you know side effects they have you know um there there are more things to know basically so do have a look at that anyway right next one um so this was a, an interview on unheard with um freddie and flo who are uh, investigated the london palestine protest the pro-palestine protest and i thought that this was really helpful because um they actually went and talked to people who were on this this pro-palestine protest and of course the majority of them were muslim um and and they actually talked to them and i, I just thought it was fascinating actually listening to what these people had to say for themselves but what i i thought was interesting was i was kind of expecting there to be you know a lot of anti-semitism and and everything and which you hear about you know you see that on in the news you know you see the people kind of having these um there are anti-semitic signs clearly at some of these rallies nonetheless as i as i um watched and, and heard what people had to say themselves they were actually quite reasonable uh certainly you know that all of the things that i've been saying about the problems with with israel looking at the history of israel looking at the way that israel have you know um had to move move people out um you know of the land they had to you know um destroy villages destroy people's houses move them out and, and and what have you in order to create the state and, and and so on and so forth there are occupied palestinian territories all of these things that, that, that's basically what people were referring to and you know I, I don't think people were necessarily saying you know there's there's only one solution and i don't think people were saying you know the jews do not have a right to to live there in any way shape or form but you know just that this the bombardment you know that they want there needs to be a peaceful um solution and you know we need to condemn the actions of, of israel when they do something wrong and uh, i i don't know I, I mean perhaps i'm 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 being naive but it, it just looking at the people talking you know allowing them to to speak for themselves i just thought they sounded quite uh, quite reasonable in fact and made good points which need to be responded to and this is where uh, kind of what I was trying to get to with a few weeks ago when I was looking at which side should should we be on. Because I don't think it is about being on any one given side. I think we need to um, to actually, you know, take the side of the truth and take the side of, of God who judges all equally. And of course, God will judge Hamas and God will also judge Israel for what they've done. And we mustn't, you know, be people who who you know take one side or the other but recognize the nuances and complexities of the situation and it, it did make me think again you know that so often in the media the voices that get amplified are when it comes to islam are the islamists you know the ones who do genuinely want to cause destruction and you know who are bombing shouting aloha akbar and so on and so forth and um but i think there are an awful lot of moderate uh, muslim voices in the country and if you think about it from their perspective you know what are they if they move to the western world 
And then they see the Western world behaving badly and not listening to some of these concerns and just brushing it under the carpet. What are they going to think? Now, it just struck me that once again, if we take the moral higher ground, if we take the, the, you know, the truly Christian approach, which is to judge everyone equally under under the law and to to actually act fairly rather than just supporting our allies, un, you know, unconditionally, then we might find that they're more willing to listen and say, oh, well, actually, you know, no, I, I see that you're on our side, that you, you're listening. And, you know, they might be, I, I don't know, I, I just felt actually strangely encouraged watching that, that, you know, that there are a lot of reasonable people out there and people who might be, you know, if if the West was willing to actually do what was right, um, you know, and actually put put moral morality first, put God's morals first, then you know people might see that. So anyway, that was that was just a thought that I had from watching from watching that um, that interview. Do have a have a watch yourself and see what you think. The final one to mention is another unheard interview. Um, from a couple of days ago this was with Andy Cook the chief executive of the Centre for Social Justice think tank um, so when it's the, the Centre for Social Justice it doesn't mean the woke social justice but it means actual social justice you know that they actually care about the poor um, you know uh, rather than simply virtue signalling about it um, so yeah but I thought that was a really it was a fascinating interview you know that I know that we, uh, all of us, I mean, I know people have written to me about this and I've been trying to bang the drum about this and raise awareness. But the, you know, the harms of lockdown, you know, we've gone on about, on and on and on about for, for ages. And it, it was put in an interview, you know, that this chap Andy, had, um, you know, head of the, the think tank, they interviewed a lot of charities, got the data from a lot of charities and, and you know, he said small charities, you know, the ones on the ground who are actually interacting with people and doing the hard work of having to put the pieces back together. And some of the statistics and the things that he said are just staggering. You know, like the number of children who are not in school has sky, um, skyrocketed since COVID. You know, an extra what, 100,000, I think, sort of ghost children, they call them, who are not in school regularly persistent absence um there are i think the number of people who are on benefits has you know rocketed in 2020 and then has stayed high people claiming disability um there's domestic abuse you know uh, and it seems that you know again and again lockdowns had a disproportionate effect on the poorest and the most vulnerable in society that's that was the thing that you know the lockdowns just um yeah, we. I mean, we knew this all along, but seeing all that, seeing it laid bare like that, it's it's just staggering, and it makes you think what what did we do, you know? Why why did why was nobody asking those questions? It's so wrong. Uh, people have to be held accountable. But um, anyway, do look at the do look at the facts. I thought it was very eye opening. And it, it was a bit. It was funny at the end because um, Freddie Sayers said, "I'm sorry for getting a bit passionate at the end." There, and it's, Freddie Sayers getting passionate. I mean, he, compared to uh, compared to other people, he's just so sort of you know, um, even <laughs> um, all of all of the time. But um, there we go. 
So those are the things that uh, that I've seen this week. Do let me know if there's anything that you'd like me to, to look at, although um, I won't mention it on the podcast because, I, like I said, I won't be doing another one till the new year. Um, but um, I can always share them on Twitter or, or, or what have you. Um, don't forget, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can do so. Uh, just leave a comment below if you're on YouTube. You can telegram me. The link is down below. Or you can email me through that sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. And uh, thank you to so, uh, so much to everyone who's been in touch with me. And I really do appreciate your comments and your thoughts. And um, yeah, thanks to everyone who said happy Advent and Christmas and New Year and everything as well. I do appreciate that. And um, and likewise, likewise to you. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link. Um, and also, if you are listening on the audio podcast, do leave me a rating or a review. Or if you're watching on YouTube, do give me a thumbs up uh, while you're, you're down there, as um, all of that is really helpful. So thanks so much, everyone, for joining with me over the last... Oh, well... Uh, how long I've been doing the podcast about three years now nearly three years so thanks to everyone who's if you've got you know been there the whole time or whether it's just been more more recent thing been really appreciated so let me move on now to the main topic and uh, thinking about the manifesto for 2024 so I've called this one back to the drawing board 2024 manifesto so let me explain what prompted me to to do this. Um, do you know sometimes you have one of those moments of clarity where someone you know sends you something or asks you something, and you you just have to think about something which you haven't thought about for a while, and it makes you realise that you've changed. And I had one of those moments this last week. So someone I I, I know who's um been a, a staunch lockdown sceptic um, and um, you know done a, a lot of good work about this wrote to me um, emailed me the other day asking me if I'd like to put my name to a list of questions for a an online symposium by affinity um, affinity not the water company but the um, it's a network a UK network of evangelical Christians and they were having this online symposium called COVID-19 and the church, looking back over the last three years and seeing, you know, well, what what have we done well? What could we have done better? And so on and so forth. And they had a panel of people and the panel was, um, you know, there, there were people on the panel who had spoken up about closing the churches and so on. And they also had people like John Stevens, the director of the uh, FIEC, who was, you know, Mr. Lockdown, sort of... Um, who very much was supporting the government line about um, lockdowns. So, you know, there was a mix on the panel and they had this list of questions. Um, this The person who emailed me had this list of questions to ask. And, um, and they were good questions, you know, saying basically, um, why did the church act in the way that it did? And, um, but I just felt like I couldn't put my name to these questions. You know, seeing seeing it there, I just realised, I just thought, you know, why at this stage am I still trying to persuade people to consider what we've done? If people can't see it now, when are they ever going to see it? You know, what, why try to persuade people who don't want to be persuaded? 
because it, it seems to me, you know, when when the lockdown first hit back in 2020, you know, all right, fair enough. It caught us all, I think, to some extent by surprise. And I certainly hadn't done enough thinking about the government and about, you know, all of the authoritarianism and all of that. I, I think, you know, we just we just went along with it. Um, in my case, I know that, you know, some people were dead against it from the start. Um, but I, I just didn't know what to think. So, yeah, I can understand how for a lot of us, you know, yes, it caught us by surprise at the start. But we've had three, you know, more than three years since then, you know, three and a half years. And the evidence is still mounting up that it was a colossal mistake, that it was, um, you know, it was an an act of the rich and powerful imposing their will. It didn't actually, you know, the, the the poor and the vulnerable actually suffered the most, which the church should care about deeply. And um, and it seems that it's unleashed this kind of tidal wave now of authoritarianism with you know like the the WEF, the UN, the World Health Organization, all, all of these organizations now demanding more and more power. And, you know, it, it seems like the world is, if you'll excuse the phrase, going to hell in a handbasket. Um, and and yet we're still trying to convince people that it was wrong to close churches back then. And you think, just, just wake up and smell the coffee. You know, I, I can't be doing with it. I can't be doing with it. And that's, I suppose that's when I that's the moment i think i just realized that you know we just have to think and act differently that you know i suppose this is what where the idea for this this manifesto came from so let me let me go back to the beginning then and go back to the root problem that we face so let's think about it from from the start what is the point of institutions and traditions and rituals like churches like you know denominations for example what's the point of them the point is that they're there to preserve something aren't they that at the end of the day a an institution or a tradition is there to preserve something to pass it on to the next generation and make sure that we remember so we let me give you a few examples the church of england the Church of England is there to preserve Christian worship and the Christian character of this nation, isn't it? You know, I mean, that's the point of having an established church. It is saying, you know, that that we, as the, the king and as the government, you know, we want there to this to be a Christian country, a Christian nation, and therefore we we establish the Church of England so that everyone, in theory can then go to a church of england church can worship and can learn about you know following jesus and you know worship him and, and so on and so forth so the church of england is there to preserve um, and pass on that christian character of of the nation um but you know think about ceremonies like the coronation um the coronation service again very christian and i know i talked about this at the time but you know the way that the uh, the coronation service is to again preserve that Christian character of the monarchy. Um, you know traditions like Remembrance Day. You know we're saying in Remembrance Day that 
there is something which is worth remembering. You know, we look back to the sacrifice which was made a hundred years ago or, 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 or so, and we think about what they were fighting for, and we were, you know, we're grateful for their sacrifice, and we vow once again to preserve what they fought for. And even Christmas, you know, Christmas, as we looked at um, the other week, you know, Christmas is preserving um, or, or aiming to preserve, you know, the, the Christmas, the, the nativity that God came into our world, uh, Emmanuel. So all of the traditions that we have are there for a reason. They're there to preserve something. They're there to pass it on to another generation. They're there to remind us. Now, what happens when these traditions are emptied of their meaning. So what happens, for example, when the Church of England is no longer helping the nation to maintain its Christian character? Or when the coronation service, words are spoken but not meant? Or Remembrance Day, when we remember the fallen but we don't actually vow to, you know, to, to fight for what they fought for? Or when Christmas just becomes about lights and presents and decorations, but not actually about what's important. What happens when these traditions, institutions and so on um, are evacuated of their meaning? Can they be reset? And that's my thinking here. Uh, and, and I think as as um, you will probably have guessed that you know, I have a certain um, thought about this. But it, it does seem to me that there are two different approaches that one could take. Um, that the first approach is to try, if you recognise that these institutions and traditions and so on are empty, to try and do them as before, but do them with meaning. So in other words, to try and change them from the inside um, so you know what? Well, we are going to do these in, these these things, but we're going to say it and mean it this time. The other way, the second approach, is to say, well, these traditions and rituals and institutions, they've lost their meaning, and so we just have to abandon them and reform. You know, we have to set up new institutions and traditions and rituals. So you know, just to complete re reform, reboot. You know, whatever you, you, you want to call it, um, you know, s starting things afresh. Um, so there are these two different approaches have had different advocates over the years. Um, the reform from within camp, let me give you a few examples of that. So, you know, people say, for example, that what we need in Westminster, Westminster is to get uh, different and better politicians so you have people like Lawrence Fox and you have people like Richard Tice and and others who have started these new political parties and they're running candidates and they say vote for these candidates and you'll see change in Westminster. So you need to what we need to do is get better politicians to get them to stand as MPs um, and, you know, get them into the into the, the positions of power. We live in a democracy that's going to work. And um, I think, you know, akin to that is people who, who say, when it comes to the Church of England, what we need is more people on General Synod or Diocesan Synod or and so on and so forth. So we need people who um, 
are actually uh, you know in in those decision making bodies. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. So you know basically it's just saying that we need to keep plugging away at the old traditional ways of doing things. You know to double down on on those traditions just to yes you know to, to change them from within. Um, that you know you can only be you can only be able to change something if you're inside it and you know then then we'll able to then we'll be able to change it and i think you know that it's it's interesting looking at people when it comes to the church people like um calvin robinson uh it's it's interesting that you know he seems to have gone down the road of you know almost more tradition in some respects um you know that 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 what we need is more of the what we used to be doing and you know we're going to do things in a very kind of traditional way um rather than rather than you know trying to change things um, and I, I think that to some extent that is commendable but i don't think that trying to change things from the inside has a very good history when it comes to especially big institutions you think about the you know big institution like the eu for example um, I mean, I know many people have wanted to stay and to try and reform it over the years, but uh, have met with, um, shall we say, limited success. Or you think about the civil service. I was watching a um, a video the other day, an interview with Trigonometry. The chap, I think his name was still Steve Hilton, saying why nothing gets done in the country. It's basically because our democratically elected politicians come up against the civil service and therein lies the problem that you know that they don't um uh the, the the will of the people is met with the resistance of an unelected body so you know that there is this vast network of, of civil servants now and they you know often block what ministers want to do um to give you, you know, going back to the church of england to give you one example of this there was a a congress in 1967 called the National Evangelical Anglican Congress um, meeting at Kiel. And um, basically there was a big... Uh, it's known, you might not have heard of it, but it, it became known in certain circles because there was a disagreement be between John Stott and Martin Lloyd-Jones, who you may have heard of. And they had a disagreement that Martin Lloyd-Jones... Uh, seem to be saying basically to, that you know those of you who are orthodox believers in the church of england you have more in common with us free church independent um christians um you know you, we share more in common in terms of belief than you do with your fellow church of england clergy who you know do things like not believing in the resurrection for example um and of course, in, in, back in the 1960s, that was quite a big uh, issue. And so what Lloyd-Jones was perceived as saying, whether he actually meant this, I'm not sure, but was to come out of the Church of England and be united to, um, to you know, independent uh, evangelicals. And what John Stott said is, no, no, hold your horses. We need to stay in the Church of England and we need to fight for it. Now... Um, that was 50 years ago and um, it was interesting really reading um, I've just been reading a book by um, Ian Murray or rereading it 
a book called Evangelicalism Divided about the, this history, 1950 to 2000. Um, and he talks about um, Stott and uh, Lloyd-Jones and this disagreement. And, and as I was reading it, you know, it, looking back over the history of the last 50 years, I can say I think Lloyd-Jones was right um, that I think, you know, um, Keel was seen as a a clarion call for people to stay in the Church of England and to keep getting involved and to keep trying to change things. But it, it seems to me that by staying, that so many compromises had to be accepted. You know, it's very difficult to stay in an organisation if you believe that um, other clergy and even bishops are, are not Christian, <laughs> essentially. Um, you know, and I think they would, um, you know... You, you have to play the game and basically say, well, we're all Christian, we're all on the same path, you know. It's very difficult to stand up and say, no, I think you're you're wrong and, and I think this is anti-Christian heresy because um, then you would just be invited to leave. Um, so, so this is the thing, you know, that, that it seems to me the strategy of being committed to staying in the Church of England has not worked out too well for changing the direction of the Church of England. I don't think it really has. Uh, it seems that liberalism has just continued, really, unabated, uh, except with, you know, almost with the approval of evangelicals because they felt like they were having an influence when actually, you know, it just enabled them to be sidelined and ignored by, you know, sort of by pretending to give them a place at the table. You know, the the, the project, the liberal project, could just continue. So I, I don't think that reforming from within really has a, a rich and illustrious history. I think perhaps it is possible uh, sometimes, but it, it depends on how far gone an institution is. Um, so the second option is going outside the system. And this is, I think, the, what, what, what happens when institutions have become so corrupt that they are essentially non-reformable and I think what needs to happen is going back to the drawing board about every ritual or tradition or institution and saying well what is its purpose you know um, is it serving a useful purpose why did we start doing it should we keep doing it you know well let's let's think about that and let's you know let's let's take a, a bonfire to all of the things which aren't serving any useful purpose anymore and let's you know think about what we are trying to achieve and set up new traditions, things which will you know we want to take us in the right direction. Um, to give you an example of what what uh, where I think this is perhaps best shown is the Protestant Reformation, you know the the back in the 16th century. Um, you think about Martin Luther, who well actually Martin Luther wanted to stay in the Catholic Church and reform it, but ultimately he was excluded because he was so strident about the what the changes that needed to happen and that's what often happens in uh, in institutions you know that um uh, they, they'll tolerate you for a while unless you actually start saying no this is important this needs to change and um you know that that's that's where it it, it leads you um either that or being burnt at the stake so i've just been reading a book by J.C. Ryle called Five English Reformers about five men who were burnt at the stake like a Hugh Latimer and a Nicholas Ridley and so on and uh, I mean th they were 
gosh, their courage, you know, that to 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 stand on what um, on, on the truth, you know, to stand on the scriptures, and to say I will not recant, you know. I mean, my goodness, um, people that people today don't know what courage is. I think. Um, but yes, uh, you know that that was the days of the Reformation when you know new structures had to be set up, and new things had to be done. And you know it wasn't just a church thing; it was a, a um, you know a government government thing as well. You know that princes some uh, would would take the side of the Reformation and would change things in under their jurisdiction. Um, and of course, the Church, oh, excuse me, and of course the Church of England. Um, was a result of the Reformation. And I think it's arguable whether the Church of England is an example of reforming within the system or from outside. And certainly, I think the Church of England didn't really exist uh, as a, a separate institution prior to the Reformation, prior to Henry VIII, when he you know, declared himself to be, you know, the Pope has no jurisdiction in this realm of England, and the Pope, you know, Henry VIII, declared himself to be the head of the Church, and um yeah um and and, and you know cranmer uh, thomas cranmer who uh, i've put his picture up there those of you who are watching but you know cranmer was able to to then uh you know come up with a new prayer book and basically it almost shaped the church of england to be a a thing which was different to, to how it had been before although the, the priests were the same the church buildings were the same you know it was very different um, so I think it's arguable there whether the Church of England was actually a you know reformed from within or actually you know almost became new. Um, it kind of both things happened, but I, I would say perhaps uh, it was almost like a new organisation really in, in some respects. Just a lot of the a uh, lot of the old had to be swept away, and that was with um, with with of course the king, you know Edward the Sixth. Uh, Mary turned things back, which is where where these burnings at the stake came from. Then Elizabeth, um, it, it was under Elizabeth the first that we had the Protestant um, settlement of the Church of England. So, and things kind of settled down. Um, so yeah, those two options: staying in, uh, staying in, and trying to change things from within, or trying to go out and build something new. There's always a tension between those two things. But what, what about now? What's the best option for now? And that's where I think the that's the million dollar question, really, isn't it? It seems to me, people keep thinking, you know, well, we are, if we just have better politicians and just get involved more, get more MPs who are on side, things will change. Um, I I'm not sure about that. Um, I I think that our politicians have become so captured by these kind of transnational bodies, by you know um, the bureaucrats. Um, I I don't know what you know if there is a a them, as it were, a specific them. But you know, think about the World Health Organization. You think about the World Economic Forum. You think about that kind of people. You know, I think most politicians are just so on board with the globalist agenda that they don't even realize it's it's an agenda and certainly the closer you get to the people who have authority the more likely it is because it's a club you know it's it's a cartel or it's a, it's a club or whatever and they're just going to look after their own and it's why now i think 
when it comes to bishops in the Church of England that all bishops are part of the club because they're only going to bring people into the club who agree with the club. You know, they're not going to bring people in who are not on board. So, you know, it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. So there's that question, have our institutions become so empty and corrupt that they are essentially unreformable? Well, I, I feel maybe we are at that point. What, need, what we need is a total reboot of our institutions, you know, the government and the church uh, in particular. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen by working within the system because, you know, the system now is just so, so corrupted that it's only going to allow people in who agree with the system. You know, so you need something from outside to, you know, sweep away the system and replace it with, with something better. So what about you and me then? What about the likes of you and me? What, what can we do? Because obviously we can't uh, reboot institutions from the outside. Now this is where I think we need to go back to what I was saying a minute ago about institutions, the purpose of them. Now at the end of the day, institutions like church and government and traditions, they are there to preserve something. And they're there to preserve something about life. You know, the, the, our institutions, our traditions and so on, are there to um, preserve and pass on something about how we live. But the thing is, we can live without those institutions and traditions. You know, we can have the reality without the institution and without the tradition. So this is why I put this this diagram here. I'm, I'm sorry if you're listening on the podcast, but it's just a simple diagram, two concentric circles, and in the middle there's life. And on the outside there's the institutions and the traditions. And what I've said is we can have the middle without the outside. Uh, the outside exists to safeguard the middle. You remember when um, we looked at John Locke, uh, I think back at the start of the year, we looked at his second treatise on government, and this is his argument about government, that government kind of arises naturally, but it's it's just based on people's freedom and on people living in the way that God gave us to live. That's how, that is how we um, we can, you know, that's what government is for. So why why not, you know, for us, why not just focus then on living and on the life that we should be leading and ignore the, the rest of it? You know, we don't need the stuff outside to have the, the thing inside. So how do we go about doing that and recover the middle? This requires us to think about how life should be. So institutions and traditions are there to help us to live uh, to live and to live rightly. How do we live rightly? Let me quote to you a couple of um, Bible verses here. So this is um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So here the Apostle Paul says that the you know the circumcision which was the you know the law the tradition which they <clears throat> which they thought they needed to keep doesn't have any value that what counts is faith expressing itself through love so faith in god which expressed itself through 
love in the way that we actually live and relate to one another. So it's not the tradition that matters, it's faith expressing itself through love. That's the thing that really counts. That's how we live. That's how we are supposed to live. And then uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So that's the thing that these traditions, these, you know, rituals and institutions, they're not a substitute for God. That they're there to point us to God uh, or should be. But if um, if they're not doing that, then God is still there and we can still live in in God, living in love, you know, the love that comes from God. So we can still have the life outside of those institutions, traditions and and so on and so forth. That They're there to serve a purpose, but if they're not serving their purpose, we can still have the reality, still have the life. And this is what I wanted to say, really, which is that true, true life, as we know, as, as Jesus says, is to love. That's what it means to have abundant life is is to love and true society is made up of people who love. And, you know, you think, what would our country be like if that was the case all over the country? Would we need really a, a government? You know, would we need to have all of these institutions if we just love God and loved our neighbor? That's what traditions are there for, to help us to do that. And if they're not helping us to do that, well, then we can still do it, even without the institutions, traditions and and so on. So this kind of brings me to the manifesto for 2024. What can we do? And this, I I wanted to try and make this, you know, practical uh, and doable. Um, So uh, what I've got, I've I've got four things here. the first thing is to love God. That is, just invest in, you know, reading the Bible and in prayer and in worship. You know, just get to know God, get to know the Bible, pray, um, you know, worship him. All of those things. It, it all goes it all goes together. Put God, put God first. And that will that will be the, the most fundamental thing that we can do. So make a priority of that. The second thing is to love your neighbour. And, uh, you know, of course, there are lots of ways that we can do that. Uh, we can do that in our families and friends, uh, of course, that, that's very important. Um, but also, you know, in relationships the, with others um, in our communities, you know, there are lots of ways of doing that. Really, it's, it's about saying, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not here just for myself, but I'm here to be a blessing to others and thinking about how we can, how we can do that. You know, given the time, given the resources, given the situation that God's put each one of us in, how can we live for others and be a blessing to them? Um, and that's fulfilling. That's the the fulfilling thing with life. And we can do that whether the government tell us to or not. You know, that that that's the thing. We can make society happen regardless of whether, uh, whether you know, the government and institutions and traditions are encouraging it 
or not. You know, we can have the reality without them. And um, the third thing I put is to ignore the government and institutions as far as it is possible. And I, I just put down here to use your own moral judgment and common sense. Um, I, I know that it's difficult to, you know, to ignore the government. For example, um, you know, if you've got children at school, then, you know, obviously you can't really avoid taking them to school unless you take them out and homeschool them, which might be an option, quite likely not an option. So, you know, you can't ignore. But really, what I, I think is rather than, you know, taking our direction from government and institutions and, and media, actually, to you know, we've got a moral compass, we've got a conscience, you know, we've got God. You know, let's seek to do what is right rather than being told what is right. And uh, just to give you one example, I mean, I've been looking at the World Health Organization Treaty and the power grab and so on. But I just thought, you know, if they declare another pandemic, then I think we need to get to the point where we say, well, you know, we're not going to comply with whatever, you know, if, if, you, if there are draconian measures because we think it is wrong. You know, we will just carry on doing what we believe is right and we will act in accordance with our own conscience, not in accordance with your dictates. And uh, and I think that, you know, so we need to, I suppose we need to have something locally which is worth holding on to so that we can resist. Because what the government want is for us to be divided and, you know, fearful. Uh, and, and people who are divided and fearful are controllable. So if we are not divided and fearful... We will not be controllable. And then that's really what I want to say. You know, just invest in what's local and invest in relationships, invest in, you know, and hold on to that. And that's real. You know, whatever the government say, if it doesn't support um, what's what's right, then don't go with it. And the fourth and final thing is to think carefully about which institutions and traditions to pay attention to. Um it's it's something which I've realised is it's so easy to just go go with the flow, isn't it? And you know we think that so many things are necessary. I think part of the the problem is almost that we we've been so um, conditioned through our lives to rely on these institutions and to rely on these traditions that you know like the idea of, for example, not having Christmas, for example, or not doing Christmas in the way that that you know, we've done it for years, Pete, that's anathema. But you think, well, what's Christmas trying to do? Why do we do it this way? You know, what, why, why, what, what's the value in it, actually? What's the good uh, that, that, that God wants to, to have? Is it actually doing any good? And if it's not, then why are we doing it? Now, I think those are the kind of thoughts that we need to be having. And I'm, I'm not at this point, you know, prescribing any particular thoughts or or you know we should do this or that or, or whatever but just let's let's be thinking about it let's be thinking well how does god want us to live and what and let's make sure the way that you know the way that we spend our days is oriented to the way that god uh, wants us to live and and is helping us rather than hindering us you know so let's be just i guess give ourselves the freedom to think clearly about you know what what the right thing to do is um, rather than just you know being thinking oh no, we've got to do this we've got to do that because because we've always done it that way so the final thing that i wanted to 
uh, to end with is just as kind of an example and uh, you know a little bit of our story over this last few months that uh, as you you may know at the near the start of the year we left our, our old church and um it, there were various reasons involved um but uh, you know i think it was it was the right decision to do and we ended up starting a church at home and what's happened over that time in the last you know 9 months give or take is you know we haven't had things like church buildings you know we've been meeting in our front room you know we haven't had church buildings we haven't had bishops and we haven't had the structures and we haven't had so you know so many official things but i think we have had jesus you know we have had the reality which it's all about and the fellowship and i would take the reality any day of the week over the institution i would take the reality you know any day of the week over an empty um institution an institution which has lost its way which has lost its meaning and this is my message you know that i wanted to say that we can have the reality even if we don't have the institutional backing you know we can have that reality even if we don't have the 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 structures behind it you know you you can be a christian without the church of england or, or any traditional denomination you can be the church you know it's just people getting together to worship god to read his word to pray to depend on the lord you know all of those things you you, you don't need official structures they didn't have official structures at the beginning you know they did have the apostles and the apostles teaching um but at the end of the day you know the church went forward and it it went forward because of because of god because of the holy spirit you know and i don't want to be become kind of a sort of iconoclast and you know just tear everything down for the sake of tearing everything down but my my message and my manifesto for 2024 is this look for the reality and don't you know don't pay too much give too much um you know uh credence to to institutions traditions and so on you know only in as much as they help find the reality and i hope that that's you know that's yeah you can you can see where i'm coming from on this one um but do let me know let me know what you think and i hope that that will give you at least some food for thought over christmas anyway so i thought i'd finish with a reflection here from the bible this is from isaiah chapter 43 and i'm going to read from verses 16 to 21 so isaiah chapter 43 verses 16 to 21 this is what the lord says he who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses the army and reinforcements together and they lay there never to rise again extinguished snuffed out like a wick forget the former things do not dwell on the past see i am doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it i am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland the wild animals honour me the jackals and the owls because i provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people my chosen the people i formed for myself 
that they may proclaim my praise. I was thinking about this passage earlier and just thinking, you know, it's it's a real encouragement that God, well, it takes us back firstly to the Red Sea, to the way that God uh, brought his people out of the wilderness. And it talks about a path through the mighty waters. You know, the Exodus throughout the, the Old Testament is seen as that kind of emblematic of God's power in rescuing his people. You know, he brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea in a miraculous way. Um, and he, he, he um, you know, destroyed the, the Egyptian army, the chariots and horses. And then it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And you know, I think, again, this is where we need to, to look to what God is doing. Because sometimes I think God takes us into a wilderness and into a wasteland. And we think, well, God, why did you bring me here? And I feel like perhaps this is one of those times. You know, I don't know about you. I, I felt over this particularly over the last few weeks just a real kind of tiredness and I think a lot of people feel that at the moment just that you know we I do feel that we are in a kind of wasteland that why God have you led us here as a church you know where it seems we're so weak it seems that I don't know it, it just seems there's there's so little spiritual life really in so many places and I think what God would say is he's doing a new thing she kind of fits with what I was saying about the manifesto, you know, that God's doing a new thing is making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And, you know, that that's what we're going to see happening. I think that when we go into the wilderness, when we go into the wasteland, that's where God will provide. That's where we'll see streams. That's where we'll see the, the new things coming up. And, you know, that we will praise God for the, the things that he's done. So, you know, it, it's I hope it's an encouragement to say, yes, you know, we are living through very dark days. We are living through times which are there's so much darkness in the world and it, it, we just think what's what's going on. But God knows God knows the way he'll lead us and, you know, he can make streams appear in the wilderness and in the desert. You know, he's not stopped leading us just because, you know, things look bad uh you know as the hymn goes you know thy hand O god has guided thy church from age to age you know god knows the way that he he, he leads us and uh i think we just if he's leading us out into the wilderness into the wasteland that's where we need to go and that's where we'll see the streams of of new you know water the, the new thing that he's doing so let's go to him there and let's trust that you know um, new things are happening and good things are happening and uh, we can we can trust him let's take a moment to pray at, at the end and um, you know commit commit this year and and the new year to him and trust that God will lead us in in the right ways and so heavenly father we pray that you would help us to uh, to trust you with our future uh, lord for for this coming year we thank you for all that you've done in uh, 2023. We commit it to you, Lord, and we entrust ourselves and our plans to you for next year and trust that you will lead us, uh, Lord, even if it means being in a wilderness. 
we know that that is where we will see uh, rivers, the, 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 the wilderness turning to, to water and turning to new life. We pray that you would help us to, by faith, see the new thing that you are doing and that you would help us and encourage us over this coming um, coming few weeks to trust in you and know that you are still working and leading us and that uh, you will bless those who are faithful to you. So we ask that you would uh, give us a greater faith, help us to trust you more, love you more, and uh, we pray that we would see wonderful things happening across our land and across our world uh, this next year. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone. And just one final thing. I do feel like this Christmas somehow is a bit of a turning point. And I don't know quite why I feel that. But it does seem like a turning point, you know, that the darkness has been building. And I think, you know, I've just been really reflecting on that, that, you know, Jesus came into a world which was full of darkness. And, you know, the things haven't changed. You know, that the world is still dark, but, uh, you know, we we know that Jesus came into a dark world and, you know, that he can still bring bring about change. He can still come in and change things. Um, if anything encouraging happens to you, um, as has happened and will, no, ha- is happening, will happen, well, yeah, will have happened. Anyway, and just, just, just write to me and let me know. I'd love to hear if there's any encouragements that have been happening um, in your way. And uh, maybe uh, I can share those in the podcast in in the new year. And uh, maybe I'll have one or two things to share as well. Um, So God bless. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, I hope that you have a happy Christmas and new year. And I look forward to seeing you again from a good willing, a different venue in the new year. But uh, yeah, stay safe. Um, Take care. God bless. And I'll, I'll see you again soon.